We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through chapter 9, verse 5. And uh, we're just continuing our way through the, the journey through 2 Corinthians. Uh, this church does expository preaching. So we just preach through the passage, and you happen to have joined us in this particular spot. And I find it's never a coincidence that uh, God always has something to say. Even though we're just going in order through the book, he's always got something to say to us right at our particular time with a particular passage we happen to be on. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage? But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you on, of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a little background. The, the, the Apostle Paul's been writing to the Corinthians. He had to correct some problems that happened in the church. He wrote a pretty severe letter that we don't have, but he mentioned it in this letter. And he's overjoyed to find out that when Titus came to, uh, to visit the church of Corinth with that letter of correction, that there was uh, an acceptance by them. They received the letter. They repented of the wrong of the accepting the false teachers. And then Paul moves on in the letter to reminding them about this gift that he's collecting from the churches for the poor in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem cared for the poor widows. Um, the Jews cared for the, the synagogue, or I'm sorry, the temple, cared for the Jewish widows, but now they were starting to recognize Christians as something different from the Jews. 
And so the church in Jerusalem needed to take care of those widows who uh, their couple had come to Jerusalem to die. The husband died. The widow still remains. And so you have all these women that have no means of support. And the apostle James had told uh, Paul, remember the poor. That's one thing he asked Paul to do. So one of Paul's things was to collect from the Gentile churches this offering for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And it not only did it uh, to show that we help one another, the body of Christ cares for one another. We saw in the last passage how Paul described it. It's like manna. Everyone went out to collect the manna, and somehow everybody had two quarts of manna, just what they were allowed, their allotment. It was miraculous. And Paul says that's how it happens now. Those who have an abundance meet the needs of those who are poor. It's the same miracle. It just happens through the gift of grace in our hearts. So now uh, Paul's giving us some practical lessons in this passage on accountability and in the importance of an integrity when dealing with finances. Verse 16 again, but thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. So Titus had come back with the letter. Now he's going to go again and, and collect the offering and he's gonna head up the team that goes to collect the offering. But I, I want to focus for a minute on this, this phrase, earnest care. Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Judah regarding a time in the future when God would come, God himself would come like a shepherd and bring his people back to the land of Israel and care for them there. Um, I'm going to read the, the passage from Ezekiel. It's... Uh, uh, begins like this. For thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. I will feed them good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, this is God speaking through Ezekiel, I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Now, Jesus boldly declared in John chapter 10 that he is this good shepherd. When he said, I am the good shepherd, he's referring back to Ezekiel's prophecy and saying, it's me. I am the Lord your God who will gather you and give you good pasture and bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. That was the same as saying he's God who spoke this prediction and was now fulfilling it. His love for the mistreated sheep brought him to intervene to feed them with good pasture and clear water and to deal with the false shepherds who were taking advantage of them and muddying the waters 
as the Ezekiel passage goes on to describe. That's where we get the expression, muddying the waters. You ever heard that one? Well, don't muddy the waters. Someone's, someone's, you're talking about something and somebody's bringing something else in that's unrelated. It comes from Ezekiel. It means that you're making the main issue uh, unclear. That's what the false teachers had done in Corinth. It's what they do today for personal gain. Underlying this prophetic fulfillment is the revelation of the heart of God, the heart of God for his people. That's what God had put in Paul's heart for the Corinthians. And what he declares in this verse, he's also put in the heart of Titus, that shepherd heart of earnest care. God has to put that care into the under-shepherd's hearts because it's not natural. Our natural false state is selfishness. Our, I'm sorry, fallen state. Our natural fallen state is selfishness. But thanks be to God who can put earnest care into our hearts. Amen? Earnest care is more than just concern but a jealousy to see that the flocks not manipulated by self-promoting peddlers of God's word, whose real concern is only for themselves. Earnest care does not count the cost to, to care for the sheep. It generously gives whatever is needed. It's selfless and it counts it a joy to see that others are blessed. That care must be guided, however, by the Holy Spirit because sometimes we, in our natural compassion, we can interfere with what God's doing in someone's life. We don't want to rescue someone whom God is teaching a lesson through difficulty, nor do we want to enable a person to continue in self-destructive ways. But we must always be ready to help when it would draw a person closer to the Lord, when he leads us to give, when he leads us to spend time with them. That's the heart of earnest care. Verse 17, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. So this letter shows again and again that Paul does not operate alone. Notice it's not his appeal, singular, but rather our appeal. His team together was led by the Holy Spirit to appeal to Titus to go and collect the offering from, for the Jerusalem saints. They didn't need to twist his arm as he was very earnest to take up that task. He wanted to be the one to do it. Even though he just made the arduous journey there to where Paul was from Corinth, he was ready to return. That's further proof of how blessed he was by the way that the Corinthians received the letter. You know, being around humble, sincere, dedicated believers is a joy. It encourages us to have the same attributes in our lives. Some of our yearly guests tell us being at Wayside is a highlight of their trip. They must see the same kind of dedication in you. And of course, we're blessed by their presence because they are of like mind and have the same spirit. Now, it was wisdom not to have Paul personally involved in the collection. 
The false teacher had spread doubts about Paul's motives and suggested that he wanted to take advantage of them. So this good example of how Paul's going about it, teaching us that pastors should have nothing to do with the finances other than to see things ha are handled properly with oversight so that temptation can be avoided. Kent Hughes tells this very humorous story I had to pass on on this subject. He says, an old miser um, who called his doctor, lawyer, and minister to his deathbed. And he said to them, they say you can't take it with you, said the dying man, but I'm going to. I have three envelopes, each with $100,000 in it. And I want each of you to take a, one of the envelopes. And just before they close the casket, I want each of you to put that envelope in my casket. And they all promised to do so. And at the end of the funeral, they did it. But on the way home, the conscience of the struck the doctor who confided, I'm building a clinic. So I took out 50,000 and I put the rest in the coffin. Then the lawyer confessed, I kept 75,000 for a legal defense fund and, and put 25,000 in. And the preacher said, gentlemen, I am ashamed of you. I put in a check for the entire amount. It took me a little bit. <laughs> but sadly, a mere accusation of mishandling finances can ruin a ministry. That's why the pastor has to take precautions to see that others oversee the faithful use of record-keeping of offerings. We must never underestimate the, the power of the temptation that money presents. You know, it, it offers or it tempts us to think that it can be the solution to our need. And that's the reason Jesus said you cannot worship God and money. We will depend on one or, other, or the other. We will place our trust in one or in the other. Verse 18 and 19. With him, that is with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching the gospel. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. You know, finances should always be handled by more than one person for accountability. Titus was going to have two others with him. They're unnamed in this passage. We can only speculate who they might have been, but we have their description. The first was famous among all the churches for his preaching the gospel. He must have been a traveling evangelist. You know, when I was young, uh, my father was a Baptist preacher, and every year we would have Revival Week, right? And they'd bring in a revival preaching guy that was full of fire and brimstone and <laughs> really let us have it. And we were supposed to bring our neighbors and friends that didn't know the Lord. And every night of the week, there'd be a, a gospel message. Um, it's not done very much anymore. Some places in the South, they still do it. On the Navajo Reservation, um, they have revival tent meetings. 
But this guy must have been amazing at this. Verse 19 indicates that he was selected by the churches to travel with Paul's team. So the churches agreed together on who they thought would be most trustworthy and who would represent them well. It was their attempt to be above reproach. The collection is called here in this, this, these verses an act of grace for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So there's a twofold purpose in the offering. The first was the Lord's glory, which should be the first motivation in all that we do. God is glorified when needs are met as we respond to the grace given to us. If you want to glorify God, serve one another in love. For when we serve our brothers and sisters, we're serving the body of Christ who sacrificed himself on the cross. And that was the most glorious act of giving and grace because it revealed the greatness of God's love. When we sacrifice for others in a small way, we're doing something similar. We're declaring that God loves us and loves them, and therefore we give of ourselves for them. Glory is a demonstration of God's goodness because glory is the outshining of his character. The second reason was to show their goodwill. It was declaring that they were one in the spirit, and therefore, the need felt in Jerusalem was felt by the Gentile churches of Macedonia as well. Their hearts were moved to share by goodwill toward the needy. The Jerusalem church consisted of Jews who once held Gentiles in contempt. But this offering was giving evidence of their oneness in Christ and the end of their old attitudes. Verse 20 and 21. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that's being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Paul explains the reason for the team of these, uh, these three to oversee the transfer of the offering is so that there might not be any accusations brought against them. The gift was probably uh, quite a large sum. And we always seek to please God, but whenever possible, without compromise, we want to do what is right in the sight of men as well. We don't want anything that might hinder people from coming to faith. Nor, nor, nor do we want to give the enemy something he could easily twist to discourage people from coming to faith. Verse 22, And with them we're sending our brother whom we've often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Partner number three was, I call him the tested brother. His qualification was being often tested. His earnestness in many matters and his great confidence in the Corinthians. He was sent because of his zeal and faith in the Corinthians. You know, if you're going to send someone to do a job, you want them to have uh, faith to do it, but also passion to see it done well. And apparently that was the case with this brother. So you've got quite a team here. Titus, who is an elder, had already been successful in steering the Corinthians in the right direction. 
a brother famous for preaching the gospel and chosen by the churches, and this often tested man that Paul chose because of the, how earnest he was and his confidence in the Corinthians. Paul believed the saying in Ecclesiastes that the strength of a team of three is better than two. Verse 23, as for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. In this verse, Paul kind of summarizes the team of three. He calls Titus, Titus his partner. It's a, it's a word that's only used here in the New Testament. It's kind of like calling him his colleague. An entire letter was written to Titus, directing him to choose elders for the churches in Crete. He also for, refers to Titus as his fellow worker. Now that term is used often by the Apostle Paul for those who labor with him for the sake of the gospel. He uses it for both men and for women. We would use the term co-worker. They have the heart of Christ for God's sheep. Paul adds that Titus labors for their benefit. The implication that he is unselfishly serving them. The other brothers he refers to as messengers of the churches, but the actual word in Greek is apostle. In other words, officially representing the churches, not only in the gift, but also in the greeting from the churches. He says they're the glory of Christ. In other words, they represent Christ well. Their actions and words show Christ's heart. Verse 24, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So because these three men are so special, Paul's asking the Corinthians to demonstrate their love and let them see that the boast Paul has made about the generosity of the Corinthian church is not an exaggeration. For people to carry that much money on, on a long journey was dangerous thing to do in those days. And either they'd have to hide the fact that they had the funds or better yet, go with a group of men for protection from bandits. But I'm sure that Paul had the confidence that God was going to protect them. The mission was of God. So they could count on God helping them to complete it. It reminds me of uh, Ezra. Um, Ezra was afraid to ask the king for an escort when he was returning to Jerusalem with the treasures there from Babylon because he had told, told the king that the mighty hand of God was upon him. So how could he ask for guards if God, if he'd already told the king God was with him? He had faith in God. Now chapter nine, verse one and two. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So Paul acknowledges that it's unnecessary to write to them about being ready with the offering, referred to here as a ministry for the saints. That's because they've been preparing for a year for this offering. He had boasted about the Corinthians being eager to donate which stirred the Macedonians to sacrificially give beyond their means. 
the zeal of the Corinthian churches had inspired others to be generous. So why is he emphasizing in this letter the need for them to prepare? Well, verse 3 and through 4 tells us, But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Do you sometimes feel you have faith for something and yet, and you even declare your conviction for others toward in front of others, but then you think about the people involved and you start to second guess. Because we know God is faithful, but people not always so much so. We are all people of like passion. One day we're excited about something, the next day something else seems important. So Paul's hoping that his faith in them is not misplaced. He wants them to be ready as they agreed to do. Paul had expressed confidence in them, but if they didn't finish the collect collection and have it ready to go, when Paul came with the Macedonians who had given beyond their means, um, Paul would be wondering about how that boasting would have sounded to them. Now we see the names of the Macedonians that traveled with Paul in Acts 20, verse 4. It would be humbling for Paul and for the Corinthians if that gift wasn't ready. And verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So to avoid the, that humbling situation, Paul's sending these three brothers ahead to make sure the gift is all ready so that Paul and the Macedonians arrive and it will be ready to go they'll see that Paul's boasting was well-founded. Paul didn't want it to appear as if the gift was coerced or given grudgingly, but rather willingly and a gracious act of love. Paul's declaring he has faith in them, but as a practical matter, he's sending the brothers ahead to help them finish the collection and have it ready to go. Now, this is a very um, practical, personal passage given on a particular situation, and yet there's so much we can learn from it. Being careful not to act in ways that others could criticize, because we're doing what we're doing for the glory of the Lord. Financial matters must be kept above board and always done with multiple observers so that no fault can be found in the way it's handled. The more respected the people handling the funds, the better. However, the preaching pastor should separate himself from handling the funds. It's always better to not know who's giving and how much they give to avoid partiality. Giving shows the sincerity of our faith. We give to help those in the worldwide church who are in need. Brother Langevin is, is going to Belize to help uh, paint these uh, b buildings that are uh, in, in desperate need of being painted where they can do vacation Bible school and where children are, are encouraged to have faith in Christ. That's what the church does. 
That's what our missions are for in Old Town Mission and in Flagstaff, Hope Rescue, uh, Sunshine Rescue Mission and Hope Cottage and others. We give because God has blessed us and we see the need. And so out of our abundance, we give to their need so that there, there may be equality. It shows the sincerity of our faith. We give for the glory of the Lord because he's given so much to us. And giving shows our unity and our common cause. For this team, it showed the unity of the Gentiles with the, and the Jews who were in Christ. So I, don't, I wanna close with these thoughts to ponder. First thought is for men, especially since we tend to be loners. Who is your Titus? We see how Paul worked together with brothers. If the great apostle Paul needed brothers to work with and to be in unity and to reach decisions together with, who is our Titus? Men, we need to come out of our caves and lock arms with our brothers, at least one or two, for the battles that we face. And that means deliberately setting aside time to meet one-on-one -on -one and getting to know one another. And finally, does your giving show evidence of your love? We can fool ourselves about our faith, but our giving is evidence of where our hearts really are. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And remember, this is not just about money, though that seems to be one of the big issues for most people. Someone has said the last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. However, for many of us, it's our watch, or maybe today you'd say our cell phone. I want Jesus to have all of me, and I pray you want him to have all of you. That's what we were talking about in communion. May we all desire to live what Paul quoted in the previous chapter, to come out from among them and be separate and know God as our Father, and experience life as his sons and daughters. And may we all desire, as the Apostle Paul wrote, to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Joe, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.